Nothing like walking over to sit down next to your kids and you sit down and one of them looks up and says, you just sat on a sucker. (laughs) And you're just hoping that thing still had the wrapper on it. And it didn't. So, might be a little sticky. (laughs) Church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, our text for today is chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The title of our sermon is Gifted for Growth. Gifted for Growth. We're going to begin by looking at the text, reading God's Word. And so you follow along in your copy as I read. This is the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Would you pray with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us to turn all of our attention to your word in this moment. And Father, by the power of your spirit, would you continue implanting your word inside of us? Father, so that your word can produce the fruit in our lives, that fruit of salvation, so that we can live for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gifted for growth. Most gifts have a purpose, right? Most gifts have a purpose. For instance, uh, I gave my wife a gift for Mother's Day. It was very nice of me, right? I gave her a gift. You, know, you want to know what I gave her? I gave her uh, a set, a new set of biscuit cutters. Now, I gave her that gift with a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose, now this is going to shock you, but that purpose was that she would make me some biscuits. <laughs> and she makes really good homemade biscuits. And so she needed a new set of biscuit cutters, so I gave her those with that specific purpose. Now, don't worry, don't worry, because I know some of y'all are going to get on to me afterwards. That's all you got. Your... I, I also got her something else. I got her a new beach chair. And I got her that with a specific purpose as well, that she would be able to rest after she made me some biscuits (laughs) with those new biscuit cutters. Uh, Church, Jesus has given each member of his church different gifts, and these gifts have a purpose. They have a purpose, and that purpose is to strengthen the unity of his church, which he purchased with his blood, to mature the church, to look like him, to keep his church on the course of sound doctrine, to grow his church into himself. We'll we'll talk about those things today, but simply put, Jesus gave his church gifts for the purpose of building up the church. 
for building up the church. And remember, when you hear the word church, when I use the word church, when we see the word church in the Bible, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about building up the church. We're not talking about building up a building. We're talking about building up the people, like we just sang about, the family of God. And that's what we learn in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Paul wrote this to teach us that our different gifts are for building up the church. Our different gifts are for building up the church. That's what we learn in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Now I want to set these verses in their context for us. Make sure we're not taking anything out of context. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul explained the salvation plan of God, which included reconciling sinners to himself and reconciling us to one another. So salvation reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. I want to remind you specifically of a couple of verses in uh, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, says that Jesus became our peace that he might create in himself one new man. That's an important phrase for um, our passage today. He, he's create one new man in place of the two. Remember the two being Jew and Gentile. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Another key phrase from chapter 2 through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Jesus died on the cross to heal our relationship with God and to heal our relationships with one another. So there would be one new man. He uses the metaphor of the church as like a, a, a person, one man in place of the two. Not, not separate people, but we're, we're together as one new man. One body is another metaphor that he uses. People who belong to God. This body of people is called the church. Now, as we've moved into chapters 4 through 6 over the past few weeks, Paul's urging the believers to live out that good news of salvation that they have been given and changed by. And one of the ways we live out that salvation is putting into practice the unity that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. We're called to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace there in verses 1 through 6. And then last week we looked at verses 7 through 10, and we learned that Jesus has, in that context of promoting unity, maintaining unity, He's given the church different gifts. We have different gifts, a diversity of gifts. And now we move into the purpose for those gifts. The purpose for our gifts is not that we would compete with one another to see who has the better gift, to see how, how, how we can outdo one another in using our our gifts in a way that would be prideful. We talked about that last week. The purpose for our gifts is not that we would hoard the gift and only use it for our own benefit. The purpose for our different gifts is that we would use them for the good of the church, to build up the church, that we would do so in the context of maintaining unity. In other words, that as we use our gifts, we would be drawn together in the way that we use our gifts. Let's say, for instance, that I assembled a team of craftsmen to, to build a house. And so I have all of these different people. I have a bricklayer and a framer and a, and a roofer and a plumber, an electrician, a painter, a cabinet maker, everyone that you need to build a house. But then they need tools, right? They're not going to just show up with their hands and, and they, they need some tools to do the work that, that they are tasked to do. And so I give each of them the tools they need. Now they get different tools. They don't all get the same tools because they each have a different role to play in building this one house. Now, do I expect them to sit around and argue about who received the, the better gift? No. Do I expect them to ignore that gift, that tool, and just let it sit there and not put it to use? No. Do I expect them to go off by themselves and use their gift just to make something for themselves? Like the roofer goes off and he just builds himself a roof. And, 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 the, and the brick mason goes off and he just builds a wall of bricks. And the, 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 the cabinet maker goes off and he just builds himself a set of cabinets. No, 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 no. I, that's not the intention at all. I expect them to gladly receive whatever gift they've been given and use their gifts to work together to build the house. 
to build that one unified house. Church, Jesus gave us different gifts so that we would work together to build up his church. And that's what we see in verses 11 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. Our different gifts are for building up the church. Now, we're going to walk through this passage today. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, get your thinking cap on. Um, this, there's a lot here. Remember, we've talked about in Ephesians, Paul likes to use these long run-on sentences. And uh, we've seen several of those throughout um, this letter. And this is one of those long run-on sentences. And I, I've been sharing with some different people, it's hard to kind of figure out how to walk through this because it's not like Paul says, here are three things you need to know. It's like he says, here's, here's a couple of things you need to know. Wait a second. That second thing makes me think of some other things in that category. So here's a few more things, another level of things. And then the last of those things makes me think about other things. And so it was kind of like level one, we see a couple of truths. Then we kind of dive a little deeper and we see a few more things. Then we dive a little deeper and we see another thing. So I'm going to kind of work through this thinking about levels. So we'll start at level one, level two, level three. That doesn't mean any of these truths are more important than the others. Um, I just think that's going to be the best way for us to um, kind of make sense of what Paul is saying and, um, and provide some just clarity uh, to, to this kind of long run on sentence um, here. So let's start with level one and let's see what's behind this, we could say, door number one or truth number one. So two main truths on level one. First today, church, some gifts are for equipping the body for work. That's the first thing we need to see here. Some gifts in the church are for equipping the body for work. Paul says in verse 11, and he gave. And that's how he starts, verse 11, and he gave. That word gave connects the, this verse and this section back to the previous verses that we looked at last week, verses 7 through 10. Remember Paul said grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he went on to say that when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Now he says, and he gave. So he's going to talk about what are some of these gifts. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints. So here Paul gives a list. And it's interesting here, he doesn't give a list of gifts. He gives a list, uh, gives a list of gifted people. He gives a list of people here whom he has given to the church. Let's think about these. And each one of these, we could, we could talk for a long time about each one. Uh, we're not going to do that today, uh, but let's kind of hit on each of these for just a moment. The apostles were specifically those appointed by Jesus who had witnessed the resurrected Jesus and then in obedience to Jesus gave their lives to instructing the church and preaching the gospel. Uh, Acts tells us that the early church sat under the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we this next word, the prophets. Who are these people? We've actually talked about the apostles and prophets already. This is the third time, I believe, that we've seen this phrase, the apostles and prophets, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we've said these aren't talking, this isn't, Paul's not talking about the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about New Testament prophets. And these were certain New Testament believers who were gifted with the ability to instruct the church in sound doctrine, especially in a time where they didn't have the New Testament yet. So these New Testament prophets were especially equipped and gifted by God to preach the truth of God's word really without the New Testament being written. Now we got the word evangelists. Who are these? Well, these seem to be people especially gifted in instructing people in the gospel. We have two examples of people called evangelists in the New Testament. That is uh, Philip and Timothy. And, and what the kind of thing that's similar about both of these guys is they instructed people with the gospel. They told people the gospel and made sure they were believing the right thing about God and Christ and the gospel. 
And then the last two, pastor and teacher, go together. Notice that the text says the prophets, the, uh, uh, excuse me, the evangelists, the prophets, the, did I say evangelists? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. And then it doesn't say the pastors and the teachers. It says the pastors and teachers. I know that sounds like a, maybe an insignificant thing that the word the, that article, was missing there. But what it signifies is that Paul views these together, the pastors and teachers, almost as if he's saying the pastor teachers, the pastors dash teachers. He's seeing this together as one kind of group of gifted people to the church. Why is that? Well, it's because the primary role of the pastor which, by the way, that word literally means shepherd. It's the word shepherd in, in, in the original language. So the, the primary role of the shepherd of the church, the shepherds, the pastors, is to teach. It is to teach. And we could go to other, lots of other places in Scripture and see where God um, says that over and over in the New Testament. As one commentator so rightly and succinctly put it, he said, the duties of the pastor are to feed the flock with spiritual food and protect the flock from spiritual danger. He's exactly right. He's exactly right. Now, what is the spiritual food that the church needs? It's the Word of God. And what is it that will protect the church from spiritual danger? It is the right interpretation and application of the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice, we could talk about each of those in, 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 in detail, but I want you to look at the group of those gifted people, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. What do they all have in common? What do all of those gifts have in common? Those individuals are all gifted in some way to instruct, to teach. So Paul has chosen to single out here the various gifts which all involve the teaching of God's Word to include here in this list. Why does he do that? Well, notice the purpose of these gifts and therefore these gifted people. What's their purpose? To, here is what the text says, to equip the saints. To equip the saints. For what? What do the saints need to be equipped for? Well, look at the text. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And that kind of leads us to the second door on level number, uh, level one. The second truth that we want to see, and then we'll kind of put these together. Number two, all gifts are for working to build the body in love. All gifts are for working to build the body in love. So some gifts are for equipping the body to work. All gifts are for working to build the body in love. And that's really what Paul unpacks in the rest of this chapter. The whole church, the whole body, working together to build up the church, to build up the body in love. We can skip to the end of verse 16 for just a moment and see that it says, when each part is working, there's that word again, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we have this language of the body being built up, bookending verses 12 through 16. Verse 12, building up the body. Verse 16, building up the body. Some gifts are for equipping the body to work. All gifts are for working to build the body in love. Church, every member of the body of Christ, every believer has been given a gift, and those gifts are to be used, and those gifts are to be used in such a way that it benefits the entire body so that the entire body, the whole family of God, is built up. The middle of verse 12 calls this the work of ministry, the work of ministry. And the beginning of verse 12 says that this work of ministry, this building up of the body of Christ is for the saints to be engaged in. And we talked about that word saints all the way back in the very first verse of Ephesians. The saints just are a reference to everybody in the family of God, every believer in Christ. 
And so that means every single Christian is to be engaged in the work of ministry. Now, unfortunately, the word minister has been hijacked. It's been hijacked to refer to the office of pastor, to pastors of churches. The Bible doesn't call pastors the ministers of the church. The Bible calls pastors pastors. And the Bible calls every member of the church a minister. That's what Paul is saying here. And the problem with getting these labels confused is that when the church thinks that the pastors are the ministers, then the church thinks that the work of ministry belongs only to the pastors. But this passage says that the work of the pastor's teachers is to equip the saints, the members, for the work of ministry so that all together, everyone working together, builds up the body of Christ. Think about it like it's summertime, so what comes with summertime? Cutting grass, right? Think about it like blades on a lawnmower. Think about it like blades on a lawnmower. And, 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 and the blade's job is to cut the grass, right? But the blades can't do that job if they're dull, if they're not sharpened. And so part of keeping a, a, a lawnmower working well is to sharpen those blades. Well, if the sharpener doesn't do its job, the blades might try to work, but they're not going to be very effective at cutting the grass. Likewise, if the blades think it's the sharpener's job to cut the grass, well, the grass is not going to get cut because that's, that's not primarily the sharpener's job. You see the point here. God has given the whole church gifts so that the whole church will do the work of ministry, which will then build up the body of Christ. Every member is a minister. The word minister literally means servant. So it says the work of ministry is the work of service, the work of serving Jesus, the head of the church, by serving his body, the church. Every member is a servant. Every member is to be using his or her gifts in service to the body so that the body grows. And certain members have been given the gift of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, have been given the gift of sharpening the blades, if you will, to use the lawnmower illustration, or to use the, the, the shepherd sheep metaphor that Paul uses here. Certain members have been gifted to feed the sheep the word of God so that they are healthy as they go out and do the work of ministry. There are lots of points of application for us to consider in these, just in these couple of verses uh, alone. I just want to hit a few points of application for us today. I think it's important to, to think through this and think how, how it applies to our lives. Um, first, it's just important to realize the church does need equippers. The church needs equippers, and so the church must be committed to helping those who have been gifted in this area of shepherding the flock of God to fan into flame their gift of, of shepherding and teaching. It's good and right for the church to work to identify those whom God has called and is calling to the office of pastor and to that role of, of equipper of shepherding the church and encourage them to do the work um, that God's called them to do. And right alongside that, the church needing equippers, that means it's important for us to consider whether or not God, God is calling us to be equippers. God is calling you to be an equipper. Now, there's lots of ways that there's teaching that happens, happens in the church, but since Paul uses this word shepherd teacher here, I want to specifically focus for just a second on the office of pastor in the office of pastor. God calls some people to be pastors, and if he calls you to be a pastor, then you need to answer that call. And so I want to talk to the men for just a moment. And I say men because the office of pastor in the church is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. Um, and we can go to chapters and verses to see that in Scripture. We're not going to do that. But I just want to issue just kind of a, a challenge um, to, to, to our men. The church needs pastors. And so if God lays that on your heart 
and you sense that calling of God, um, act on it. Act on it. Now, I would encourage you, maybe after the service, if that's you, tell me. Um, and that way, me and then us as a church can, can kind of walk with you through that and, and see if that's what God is calling you to and, and come alongside you and encourage you to fulfill uh, God's calling. The church needs pastors. And so if that's something God might be calling you to, um, be obedient to his call. But we also need to see here as a point of application that those gifted to be equippers need to make sure they're equipping well and sticking to their task of equipping. If God has called me, if he's called a pastors to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, then we need to stick to that work, and we need to do our very best to do it. That means, that means me as a pastor teacher, a shepherd, pastors need to make sure they're, they're in God's word. Because if that's my main role is to feed the sheep, i got to make sure that I'm feasting on healthy doctrine first so that then I can lead you to the healthy food so that you'll be equipped. And so i got to stay in God's word, sit under the counsel of God's teaching, and and then make sure that I devote myself, as Scripture says, to preaching the Word, to teaching God's Word well. Another point of application is that members need to see their need to be equipped for the teaching ministry of the church's pastors. Like You should want to be as sharp as you can. You want to be the sharpest tool in the tool shed right? when it comes to serving Jesus by serving His church. To use the, the sheep metaphor, you, you want to be as healthy and as protected as you can be, but that's not going to happen if you don't seek to learn from those that God has gifted to equip the church. The blade will not be sharp if it refuses to be sharpened. The sheep will not be healthy and protected if they refuse to feast upon the meals from God's Word that their shepherds prepare for them. Another point of application here as we think about this equipping and then doing the work of ministry is that the members of the body must not expect the equippers to do all the work of ministry. And likewise, the equippers shouldn't think that they can do all the work of ministry. Right? Well, one reason is there's just too much ministry to be done for the few who are called to be the equippers to do it all. There's too much for the church to do for just one small group of people to do that all. And another reason is that the equippers, as good as the gift of pastoring teaching is, it's just one gift, and the equippers aren't gifted to do all the work of ministry. I can't do all the work of ministry. I, I'm not gifted to do it all. And so we all have to be all hands on deck. All the saints are to be doing the work of ministry. We're gifted in different ways by design. The church is built up as the equippers work to equip the saints, and as the equi equipped saints do the work of ministry. Now that's level one, okay? You can take a breath for a second. Let your brain rest for a second. There's a lot just in those first couple of verses. And then Paul, he pushes us. <laughs> Paul just, Paul, under, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pushes us to go deeper. He drives us deeper. So if we kind of think about door number one was the equippers, door number two, all the saints building up the body of Christ, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, and when you open up door number two and you look there, uh, there's a staircase that takes you to another level. And so let's, 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 let's go to that next level and let's unpack a little more what it means to be built up in the body of Christ. And we see three things here. First, we see this. We build with the goal of Christ-like maturity. So as we think about building up the body of Christ, what does that look like? Well, we build with the goal of Christ-like maturity. What's the goal of this building up of the church? What are we striving for? Verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
There's three parts to this goal. Paul seems to like the number three here. If you kind of look at how he writes this, uh, he's lots of groups of threes. And uh, so three parts to this goal, which I'm summarizing as Christ-like maturity. The first phrase tells us we're striving for the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, we're striving as we build up the body of Christ to exhibit both the unity and the relationship with Jesus that is ours by means of our common faith and our common salvation. That, that union with Christ and with one another through the blood of Jesus. And that second phrase says to mature manhood, that we may attain mature manhood. Now, this is why I mentioned those verses from in chapter 2 at the beginning. Remember that Paul said that Jesus died to create one new man in place of the two. Paul goes back and picks up that metaphor of one new man, and he says, we're not to be a childish man. We're to be a mature man as the church. God's people are not to be childish. We're to grow up into mature manhood. And then that third phrase says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does it look like to be a mature man in this, using this metaphor? What does it look like to, like to attain maturity as the body of Christ? What is the measure of our maturity to which we are striving to attain? Jesus. Jesus is the measure. Jesus is the standard. Church, Jesus measured out gifts to each of us, if you remember verse 7, for the purpose of us reaching the measure of Jesus. We build with the goal of Christ-like maturity. And so let's make sure as we seek to use our gifts to build the church, we don't settle for less. Like we don't say, oh, well, we've arrived. We're better than we were yesterday or a year ago. We haven't arrived until we look like Jesus. So let's not settle for less. We are, we are pursuing Christ-like maturity. That is the goal of this building up of the church. Now, we're on level two, right? We're on level two, and Paul gives us three things here on level two. One is the goal, Christ-like maturity. Second thing, second thing is this. We build by staying the course of sound doctrine. What does it look like as the church is built up, as all the members are using their gifts? We stay the course of sound doctrine. Paul is going to combine the analogies of human growth and the analogy of uh, a boat at sea to help drive home his point here. Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children. Okay, so that's the human growth kind of analogy. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Verse 13, he said we're to grow into mature manhood. Verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children. What does it look like to be spiritual children? To be immature instead of mature. What does that look like? Well, now is where he switches to the boat at sea analogy. He says that spiritual childishness looks like being, and this is verse 14, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's what spiritual immaturity looks like. If the body of Christ is not being built up as all the members use their gifts, then the body of Christ will be like a boat at sea that has lost its rudder. What does the rudder do? It keeps that boat on course as the storms around come, uh, the waves and the wind as they come. That rudder keeps the boat on course. And we'll be tossed to and fro by the waves. The wind will carry us off course this way and that. But what is it that will toss us about? If we're not using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, it's false teaching. It's false doctrine. That is what will cause us to stray off course if we remain immature in our faith. 
Again, Paul gives, uses number three, he gives three descriptive phrases. He says, we'll be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Church, there is such a thing as sound doctrine, and there is such a thing as false doctrine. There is such a thing as good teaching, and there is such a thing as bad, wrong, false teaching. And unlike good shepherds who seek to feed their sheep the good food, which is the truth of God's word, there are teachers who deceive. So what Paul, the word Paul uses here, they, in, their intention is to deceive by offering food that might look good on the outside. In other words, they may have their Bibles open while they're speaking, but what they're delivering is spoiled food. Because they're not committed to actually studying the truth of God's word and delivering the truth of God's word, but only saying whatever it is they want to say. And oftentimes, what's behind it is a desire to deceive. That's what Paul says here. Paul is saying that a church that is being built up, a church where all the saints are doing the work of ministry, the equippers are equipping well, and the rest of the saints are being equipped and using their gifts to build up the body of Christ, that will be a church that won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and carried about by the winds of false teaching. That is a church that will stay the course of sound doctrine and therefore will be able to mature in Christ-likeness. Now, we're still on level two. There's one more kind of door to open and see what's behind it, okay? And so we've seen as the body of Christ is built up, we, we, we are, we're all using our gifts to do that. And, and there, verse 13, right? Um, we, we are um, mature Christ-likeness. That is, the, that is the, the goal. And we're then making sure we're not straying off course, staying true to sound doctrine. And then number three, we build through a process of committed growth. We build through a process of committed growth. Now, that's my best attempt at summarizing verses 15 through 16. We build through a process of committed growth. The main phrase here in these verses is we are to grow up in every way. So build up the body of Christ, verse 13, uh, excuse me, verse 12, verse 13, that we may attain, there's the goal, verse 14, that we may no longer be children, and then the main phrase there in verse 15 and 16 is um, that we may grow up in every way. We're to grow up in every way. I use the word process here to kind of summarize this. is because growth is not instantaneous. Growth doesn't happen overnight. That's implied in the word growth. There will be a, a growing process, kind of like my one tomato plant that I planted this year. That's sad, isn't it? I planted one tomato plant in my yard. And uh, I planted it late at that. Not, not, not very good. But it's there. And it's growing. And I'm just waiting to get a tomato off of that thing. Thankfully, I have had some tomato sandwiches. And I've bought some at the farmer's market. Some of you have given me tomatoes. Uh, but uh, but I'm, I'm waiting on one that I pick in my yard. And there is one on there. And it's starting to turn red. And I just hope that it survives until that thing turns red. There's a few more green ones on there, too. But I'm telling you, it has been a process uh, of growth for that tomato plant. Um, and growth in the church is like that. It's not just something that happens overnight. We have to be patient in the process. And I use that word committed because it says we are to grow up in every way. In other words, we're not to grow in some areas but not in others. And as verse 16 says, this genuine growth doesn't happen when a few members work by using their gifts, but when every member is working. We build not through a process of half-hearted growth, but through a process of committed growth. Again, all hands on deck. Now, I said that door... Number three kind of leads to another level. Remember, it's like we open up these doors, we learn something, and then it's like, oh, by the way, this goes to another level. And that's what we see here. This kind of this 
Paul's instruction of growing up in every way, he says, oh, by the way, I want to take you a little bit deeper into into this this truth of we are to grow up in every way. And that's what we have in verses 15 through 16. And so kind of behind door number three on level two um, is, is five words. And I just want to share these five words with you, okay? Here they are. You ready? A growing body is committed to truth, love, Christ, unity, and work. Some of these we kind of already mentioned, so we're not going to say, add too much to that. But let me give you those again. A growing body is committed to truth, love, Christ, unity, and work. That's what he says in verses 15 through 16. A growing body is committed to truth. Notice that it says, says rather, speaking the truth in love. In other words, we are growing up in every way as we speak the truth in love. Actually, the word speaking is not in the original text. To translate it verbatim, it would kind of be like truthing in love. Or being truthful. What, what Paul is getting at, it's not wrong to say speaking the truth, but it's actually, he's saying more than that. It's awkward in English to say truthing, to put truth in a, like a kind of form like that. But, but what he's saying is that instead of being tossed about by every wind of doctrine that comes our way, we are to be committed to letting truth drive everything we say and do. We're to be speaking and doing truth, thinking truth, speaking truth, doing truth. Truth is to be driving everything that we do. And of course, if we want to be committed to truth, as we said, then we must be committed to God's word, which goes back to where we started in verse 11 with the importance of God giving the church equippers to equip the, the, the uh, church in the truth. So as the equippers teach the truth of God's word, the whole church is then equipped to be driven in everything by truth, not carried about by every wind of doctrine, but be driven by that rudder of truth, which is the word of God, as they do the work of ministry. But then we see that second word, love. It's not just truth, but it's truth in love. Paul says in verse 15, we are to be truthing in love, speaking, doing, acting truth in love. And then at the end of verse 16, Paul says those words again, that the church is to be built up in love. Friends, truth is essential if we are to be growing, but so is love. And often we overemphasize one to the neglect of the other. If I'm harsh in my declaration of the truth, then I've neglected love. Church, it's very possible to have our doctrine precise, but be lacking in love as we share that truth with one another. I remember years ago, there was a particular teaching of Scripture that I was, some verses in the Bible that I was a little unsure about, and I kind of held to one view uh, of those verses, kind of, I thought this was what was right, and I was talking with a guy, and, and he, he believed those verses taught something different, and as, as, as I told him, yeah, I don't, I don't think I agree with you, I don't think I believe that, uh, he got so angry, and he pretty much yelled at me and, and, and called me stupid. Um, and stormed away. Now, here's the thing. Since then, I have come to agree with him. He was right. I was wrong in that moment. He was saying what was true. But wow, was he lacking in the love department. And I can tell you this, that didn't help me, help win me over to the truth. Right? His lack of love didn't help win me over to what was actually true that he believed. On the other hand, if I think that being loving means watering down the truth so that it doesn't offend you, then I fail to be committed to the truth in my attempt to be committed to love. And we see this all the time in our society. If we stand on the truth of God's word and say that a particular behavior, for instance, is sinful, many will shout us down and say, well, you can't say that because that means you're not being loving. Well, they say, well, if we actually love them, we would accept their behavior instead of rejecting it as simple. But friends, it's never unloving to tell someone the truth. 
It's never unloving to tell someone what is true, as long as we do it with kindness and out of a sincere desire to help them. Listen, if someone is standing on the train tracks and they're looking the wrong direction and I see behind them a train coming, the most unloving thing for me to do is to keep my mouth shut and let them keep walking in the air of their ways. The most loving thing for me to do in that moment is to tell them the truth that your, your trouble's coming. There's a train coming. You, gotta get, you need to get off the path that you're on. But here's the thing. That wrong view of truth and love is not just out there. It can very much be present in the church. I believe this passage is primarily talking about our interactions with one another, our actions in the body of Christ. And they are to be driven by truth and love, truth and love with one another. But that wrong, that wrong view of truth creeps in, and here's what happens. Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth in the body of Christ. Sometimes we don't want to be confronted with our sin, the truth about our sin. But that's what the church is for, to speak the truth in love, to do the truthful thing in love, to help us, to help me, to help you get back on track when we stray from sound doctrine, whether that's in our beliefs or in our behavior. So if someone, here's how we can apply this, if someone lovingly in the church confronts you about sin in your life, that is the church doing what the church is supposed to do, speaking the truth in love, receive it with thankfulness. And if you're the one doing the confronting, which we have a right to do that in the body of Christ, to point out the error of someone's ways so that they don't get off track, make sure that you do that in love. Speak the truth in love. When we bear with one another in love, as verse 2 says, when we speak and do the truth in love, as verse 15 says, then the body will be built up in love, as verse 16 says. There was another word I said, Christ, right? Christ. We kind of already saw this one. We're, we're, we're to grow up into Christ. So the church build, being built up is committed to Christ. Committed to truth, love, committed to Christ. Verse 16 says, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's similar to what we said back in verse 13, where we said that Christ is the standard of our maturity. Church, if we are the body of Christ, and if Christ is the head, then we'll be growing in the direction of the head. We'll be growing in response to the head. We'll grow according to Christ. We'll grow to reflect Christ, to look like Jesus. It's impossible for the body to grow in a different direction than the head. We're to grow up into Christ. So Jesus is the center of it all, and that includes the center of his church. We're not growing through Christ to look like Christ, then we are not growing at all. If we're not growing in our exaltation of Christ, we're not growing at all. If we're not growing in our obedience to Christ, then church, we are not growing at all. A growing body is committed to Christ. There was that fourth word, unity. Again, we've kind of already been talking about this. The first half of verse 16 reminds us of the togetherness we share as the church. We're different members, we have different gifts, but we are joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Paul uses that same kind of prefix that we've seen over and over and over. We've seen this so many times in Ephesians that means together. We are together joined and we are together held by every joint with which we are equipped. We're different, different joints, different parts, but we are together. A growing body is committed to unity. And then that fifth word, work. A growing body is committed to work, church. We are committed to work. Verse 16 says that the whole body, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Growth happens when each part is working properly. Growth happens as we work, not as we sit and do nothing. As we exercise our gifts, we experience growth. A more literal reading of that phrase might be this. 
That word measure is there. According, we're to work according to the working in measure from each individual. I think Paul's drawing a, a, drawing a kind of link in, in, in these chain links here. He, he, notice this. If we go back to verse 7 and verse 13 and then verse 16, we have that word measure. Put those three verses together. In other words, we have been given gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift so that we'll grow up to the measure of Christ's likeness as we work in the measure to which we have been gifted. As I said this, I said this last week, but I, I got to say it again because it's here in this passage. There are no sideline members of the body of Christ. Every member has been given a certain measure of giftedness, and so every member should be working to build up the body of Christ. Friends, we shouldn't let the gifts that Jesus won on the cross sit on the shelf. Jesus gave, with the cost of his blood, he has given us not trinkets, not trophies, but tools to be used for building up the body. So don't put them on a shelf. Let's get them out and let's work. The growth of the body comes from the head. Jesus has given us these gifts, which then means even though it says that the body makes the body grow, notice the beginning of verse 16 says, from whom? That from whom is referring to Christ. From Christ, the body makes the body grow. And so at the end of the day, even though we're using our gifts and that's contributing to the growth of the body, Jesus gets all the glory. It's all coming from Him. It is Christ that grows His body. It is from Christ that the body builds itself up in love. All praise belongs to Christ our glorious head, the head of the church. Now, we've covered a lot of ground today, a lot to meditate on this week. I would encourage you to spend some time meditating on this passage. I want to close with one simple point of application. All of this growth, all of this building up the body, all of this talk of the purpose of our gifts, it's all in the context of the church. Please don't miss that big picture. Because it's so easy to say, well, I, as an individual, I'm going to grow in my walk with the Lord. And it's so easy then to take our gifts and use it to build up ourselves. But all of this talk of growth is in the context of the church. And so if nothing else, if you forget everything else, we should at least walk away from this passage seeing the necessity of being actively connected to the church. There is no such thing as a solo Christian according to God's word. If Christ has saved us, then he is our head, which means we are a part of his body, and it is impossible to grow properly when we are disconnected from the body. God, Christ, is making the body grow. So if we remove ourselves from the body, it will be impossible for us to grow properly. Being an active part of the church is not optional for followers of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ today, you can be. Jesus came and he died on the cross to rescue us from our sin. When we talk about those who are in the body, do you know how I'm in the body? Do you know how so many people in here are in the body of Christ? It's because, it's because God gave us a free gift of salvation. Because we were convicted of our sins, we repented of our sins, and we trusted in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, the first step in all of this for you is to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and believe in Christ. And when you do, guess what? You then will be gifted for growth as well just like all the rest of the body of Christ. So church, let's take our gifts. Yes, let's use them for the purpose that God gave them to us for, to build up the body of Christ in love. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. 
Lord, we thank you for our time that we've been able to spend in this really incredible and, and weighty and hefty passage today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to take your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your grace, apply it to our lives. Uh, Lord, may this not just be information. Uh, Lord, I pray that for myself as well as for my church family. Lord, I pray that we would put into practice what you are teaching us from your word. Lord, convict us. Help us to confess any sin that has been exposed today. Um, Lord, help us to ask for your help humbly. And uh, Lord, help us to be committed to doing our part to build up the body of Christ for the glory of Jesus and for the good of the nations who need to hear the good news of Christ as they see it and hear it through your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God is working in your heart in some way today, I'll be available after the service to talk with you, and I would love to do that. Um, 